0: Welcome to the PowerCast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. It's an absolute pleasure today to have uh, the Irish legend himself, Brian Keane, on the podcast, who's uh, a man of many talents, mindset speaker, fitness coach, and a best-selling author with a book, The Fitness Mindset. Um, And he's got a huge podcast. So thank you very much for uh, coming on the show with me today, Brian. Um, So maybe tell some of the listeners a bit about yourself, uh, who you are and and what you you do.
1: Yo, Charlie, mate, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much. Um, So just to give everyone a little bit of a background, I am from the West of Ireland, currently living and residing in the West of Ireland. As we said just before we went on air, I live in the country like the West of Ireland and the West of the West, um, which is absolutely heaven. But I currently run my own business, very similar to yourself, Charlie, an online fitness business. And I travel around the world doing mindset speeches and speaking as well. Um, I've been very fortunate with my own podcast and kind of the reach and the kind of worldwide worldwide reach that that has. It's kind of given me some great opportunities for speaking, Um, and then probably the book helped with that too. But to give you a little bit of background for me, I grew up in the west of Ireland. Currently, where I'm residing now, but. I lived in London and I lived in California for quite a long period of time. And that's kind of where I found my feet with fitness. Um, Even though I worked out and trained all through my life, I played sport. I played GA, which is kind of very, very similar to rugby in the sense of the, you wanted to be bigger, you wanted to be faster, you wanted to be stronger because it would help your performance on the pitch. So I kind of joined the gym at quite a young age when I was 16 and I'm 31 now, 32 in December. And I've been in the gym since five to six days a week for the last 17, nearly 18 years. And, but my background is actually as a primary school teacher. So when I moved to London about in 2012, I moved over there to work full-time as a primary school teacher. So I lived in London for four years and I hated my first job. So when I did my first teaching job, I studied in St. Mary's University in Twickenham in London. And I got my first job straight out of college or straight out of university, and I hated it. And I remember coming home that Christmas after three or four months of working, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm after spending all these years, all this money, all this time getting a degree, and I'm in the job I don't even want to be in. And I had like kind of a quarter life crisis or an early quarter life crisis at like 23, 24. Um, and then I had this discussion, you know, my mom, my sister, Um, people like I've got my daughter, she's four, you know, I've got a very, very fortunate female influence in my life. And my my mum and my sister were like, look, you should probably just do something that you would enjoy doing. So I signed up to a fitness instructor course, I did that part time. And while I was working full time as a teacher and then studied to be a personal trainer similar to you, kind of in the reverse. I know you went personal training, skiing, property, and then kind of back <laughs> into online coaching. I, I, I kind of did the reverse of it slightly. I went and did the other job first and then qualified as a personal trainer. And I was like, the first client I got, I was working in a gym and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I was like, I love this. Um, it was funny because we talked on my podcast and when we've had discussions, Charlie, I know that when you're not aligned with your clientele, it's like, no, nah, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing. And then when you found your market, you know, your 25 to 40 year old males who have busy lifestyles, it's like, oh yes, this is who I want to serve. You I got kind place. of lucky off the... You find your pla- I got lucky up from the beginning. You know, it's funny because you said that. I was like, I got very... It made me think about how fortunate I was when you said it. I'm like, no, I got lucky from the start. Um, I was like, I had good clients from the beginning and it made me think that, oh my God, I need to do this. This needs to be my living. Um, and a long story short... I did both for two years. I worked as a primary school teacher during the day and I worked as a personal trainer in a gym at nighttime and I did that for two years. And in 2014, I left my teaching job, moved back to Ireland effectively to zero, you know, between me and you, you know, I moved back in, into my mom and dad. My sister gave me her 2000 Toyota Yaris, which was nearly as old as I was, Um, you know, it, it was this tiny little yoke that I was like every morning. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to start. Um, and I went into a local gym and I was like, can I do personal training in here? And they were like, yeah, come on in. We need a couple of trainers. Um, and over the space of six, seven months, I went from living with my mom and dad driving that crappy little car On social welfare for a couple of months, trying to get off the ground to having a six month waiting list, having to bring in another coach and trainer similar to what you're doing now. Um, And over the last few years, it's just exploded. You know, the online business, I started taking my message to social media. um, I started the podcast. And over the space of five years, it's just gone from, you know, zero to a million. And, you know, in the sense of trajectory, and I've been very, very fortunate. So, yeah, long story short, and now basically this is what I get to do. I get to chat with you, Charlie, you know, have a, have a chat. I get to work out and train, get to do cool. You know, I get to do really cool shit in terms of endurance events and stuff all around the world. Um, and yeah, I've got the best life ever now. Like, you know, it's, it's been sculpted over the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. But that's kind of a, a long story short on my journey. From um, an
0: interesting point, I didn't know before, obviously, where you, went, where you went home and obviously you struggled. That must have been a difficult point in your life because I think a lot of people don't necessarily think that maybe someone as successful as yourself, Brian would have gone through that journey of like finding a very difficult, like low point perhaps. And then like you probably look back at that now with like great pride, maybe how you sort of turned it around from that sort of situation to where you are now, if that makes sense.
1: Would you believe that wasn't my low point when I came back um, because when I left London, I'd been working as a personal trainer for two years. So I would kind of worked out my kinks and I'd already got clients results. And I'm like, I can make this work. And by the time I came back now, it was embarrassing telling my friends and other family members. They're like, you fucking loser, like leaving a teaching job. You know, what are you doing? But I had faith at that stage when I came back, I'm like, I'm good at this. This is what I love. I would do this for free. And it made it significantly easier. The analogy I use, you know, on my podcast and my book online is, you know, you're better to be at the bottom of the ladder against the right wall than halfway up the ladder against the wrong wall. And that's how I felt when I moved back first. You know, when I was in London, I, I, that was actually more of a low point. When I before I got my fitness instructor course, before I got my personal training course, before I went into strength and conditioning and sports nutrition, because I was lost at that point. I'm like, I've spent all this time, energy, and money. And now I'm qualified as a teacher and this isn't what I want to do. And that I found very, very hard to pick myself up from, to be honest. Whereas when I moved back, even though it sounds like a rags to riches story, and I suppose to a degree it is, but it, it, when I had came back in 2014 in January, I had made the commitment, I had made the decision that this is what I'm going to do. You know, I did like a, a th- thought experiment that, you know, this is completely would never have happened. But I remember doing the thought experiment, what I rather earn, earn £100,000 a year as a teacher or £20,000 a year as a personal trainer. And I'm like, I'd rather earn £20,000 a year as a personal trainer. So that made the decision so much easier, Hypothetical, like you'd never earn that as a teacher. And ironically, <laughs> you can make way more as that more than that as a personal trainer or as an online coach. But that was my thought experiment at the time. And that mindset set me up for, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm able to make a living, I'm so happy. I'm yeah, happy. That,
0: that's the thing. I think now, I don't know if you see the same thing in society now is that oh, we spoke about it briefly on your podcast, but the comparison syndrome where people see flash cars on like, social media or whatever. And like the older I get, the, the more that I could potentially afford these things, the less I want them because the more I realise that that's not happiness. Happiness is fulfilling your journey of like, like you are now like fulfilling your clientele's needs and helping other people live their dreams and live in your own dream through that
1: journey. Couldn't agree more. Like that's the, the irony with, you know, and I had to learn a lot of those lessons the hard way in the sense of money, just because I didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I always associated money and the more money you made with, hap- with the happiness. And they're two completely different things. Like money doesn't make you happier. Money just allows you to buy more stuff. You know, happiness comes from other things. It comes from being fulfilled in what you're doing. And I think, again, I would never say to anyone else how to live their life, but I think the success metric should always be, happiness, fulfillment, joy, whatever it is you're looking for, because you can't put a price on that. You know, that feeling, we we talked about this on, on when you were on my podcast, that feeling of fulfillment that you get from people messaging you on Instagram saying, Charlie, you've changed my life. You know, I'm more confident now. I feel better in myself. I'm like, you can't put a price on that. You know, it's great to make a good living and don't get me wrong. It's important. But there's no price you can put on a positive message and a positive impact that you're having on somebody else's life.
0: Yeah. That literally the only word that comes to mind is priceless with that. And like we spoke in depth about like, it's a bit of a corny thing, but the warm fuzzy feeling is sometimes you get when you you see like really heartfelt messages and like, you, I almost, I can't quantify how it makes you feel. Um well, it just was a lovely feeling. Like obviously I came from a corporate sales background, which like no one really gave a shit about like how you felt. You there's never a thank you for anything, um, which I, I suppose maybe from the teaching you had probably more of a like a, a warmer side to what you were doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing where you're at now from where you're from. So it's, it's, it's awesome to hear that mindset shift.
1: It just comes with it. Like it's 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 the and it's funny because I don't want to say like I hated teaching. Now I hated my first teaching job. That was a kind of an isolated experience because I actually quite liked teaching. Um I loved working with the kids. Now the Irish and the UK system are very, very different. I used to live in California as well. And the UK system, the US system and the Irish system are very, very different. There's a lot of paperwork and a lot of hands off work that's not to do with working with children, working with kids. I worked with like the upper key stage one in primary school for most the most part. So you're five, you're six, ten, eleven year olds for the most part. And I loved working with that age. Bracket, like particularly because I used to have boy dominant classes because they used to always give me boy dominant classes because obviously boys resonate and connect more with boys, and there's not that many male teachers, so I would be given those classes and they loved me because, like, we never missed PE. Like, every (laughs) time it was like PE, I was like, right, we're getting PE this week, and they're like, yes, Mr. Kane, amazing. Because, like, other teachers, I had friends, a couple of the girls in the school that hated PE. Like, and then I ended up making trades with them. I'm like, you can take my art class. I'll take your class for PE. Um, so it, I, I ended up really liking it, but it just, it was a job. Like what I do now is in the job. Like I never feel like I'm getting up on a Monday morning to go to work. And I never feel like Friday, like it's, you know, I'm off for the weekend. Whereas when I was teaching, you know, I'd be ecstatic on a Friday. Cause I'm like, awesome. I get the weekend off. And then on Sunday I'd get like Sunday blues. And I'm like, Oh, I gotta go back to work tomorrow. Where I never get that anymore. And again, similar to when people mess you with amazing messages, you can't put a price on that feeling either. Um, And I think that kind of wraps you and grounds you in gratitude because you're like, you have this contrast point when you enjoyed what you did, but you didn't love it. And now when you are doing something you love, you're like, I'm not going to take this for granted because I remember what it was like to not feel this way in a job that I was doing.
0: It's an amazing shift in your mindset as well. Like I work every minute of the day now but then I don't really work because I just do what I love. So I just live and love and enjoy my life. And what I do is it's what people I guess term as work, but it's not my work cause it's just doing what I want to do and what I love doing. And it's exactly the same for you. So, uh, as long as it both keeps going the way it goes for both of us, Brian, neither of us will ever work another day in our life. Looking at it
1: <laughs> fingers crossed. Let's hope it stays that way. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so what, where did, where did you transition? Where were you in the U S
1: so I lived in California, I was in Berkeley, north of San Francisco. Um, so I used to teach soccer out there, uh, well, their soccer, football, our football, um, I used to teach soccer out there in in with UC Berkeley. Um, I loved it. Now, I, as a, I was 21 when I moved out there first, so I was young and I'd spent a few summers out there prior working, so I built up networks and relationships out there. Now I loved it, but it's not a place I would have settled. Um, you it, it, the weather was amazing. The people were amazing, but you're so far away. Like I'm quite close with certain family members. And I've got obviously my friends here, like most people where you grow up and you're so far away from everybody and everything. And this was also 10, 11 years ago before you had the social media exploding the way it was, being able to connect on Skype or uh, WhatsApp for face called you didn't have any of that. So when you were in California, you were in California and everyone else was in Ireland or wherever they were. Um, So it wasn't a place I would have settled in, but an amazing experience. Like that planted a seed for fitness because of obviously working in kind of a strength and conditioning realm and working with very closely with the college. And they were so far advanced at the time. They're still quite advanced in the sense of strength and conditioning and sports performance compared to even the kind of the Irish UK, even European market. Um, But I learned so much over there and it planted a seed that kind of stayed at me for the rest of my life in terms of, oh, I thought I was training properly. This is how you train properly from my own perspective. Um, And that kind of planted that seed that Three four years later, led me into the world of fitness, working and building my own business around it. I have
0: curiosity, bro. Was there anyone you looked up to in the initial phase that lured you into the fitness industry? Was there someone you looked up to, like you thought, "Oh, that—that's who I aspire to be like"? Just a, a curious
1: question. Um, yeah, it's weird because I did because I think we all have people that we look up to. So there's kind of two that jumped to mind straight away. Like I was always a massive Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Like growing up, I read everything I could get my hands on that had to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger or consume that information. I watched Pumping Iron a million times, (laughs) like, you know, and and I I kind of looked up to not so much to do what he was doing, but I aspired to have the mindset of, this is what I want to achieve and I'm going to go after it. Like his book, Total Recall, is like the ultimate self. Oh my God, it's like the ultimate self. If anyone wants a tip
0: for your life, read that book.
1: Fuck. Like, geez, like that book is just... You can read every personal development book out there and his whole book reads like a fairy tale story. You're like, it's absolutely crazy. Moving to the US with no English, Doing a you know a property similar to yourself, doing a kind of working in property. While he was learning English, and he was bricklaying during the day, and then gone on to become you know movie star, governor, um, incredible story. And what so still times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like unbelievable! And then there was another person. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Elliot Hulse. Yeah, yeah um, Elliot, Hulse. Elliot. Yeah, so Elliot was somebody that I remember because I got. Uh, kind of the funny the way the world works. But I remember when I He's was working... on your podcast, he, wasn't he? He was on my podcast. And, and I know Elliot, because I, I worked with Elliot. Elliot helped me with my business back in 2015 when I was making the jump online initially. And we kind of built up a little bit of a relationship off the back of that. And that's why I was able to bring him on the podcast. And But I remember sitting... <laughs> I, I, I can't get sacked from a job now, so I can say this. But I remember we used to be given like an hour or two every week. Um, when you were teaching, it was like prep time. So it was like out of classroom time. And it was like to draw up your lesson plans for the next week. Um, and I used to like go up into a room upstairs and watch Elliot Holt videos. So I'm like, <laughs> I never, I would always come down to the other teacher be like, oh, have you got the, you know, um, compound fractions lectures for next week? I'm like, no, but I saw Elliot Holt's videos um, and I would do that every week. And it was funny that it would kind of come full circle. He would help me with so many things indirectly. And then we actually got to meet in 2015 at when I went working with him to help with my business. Um, and then obviously when he was touring the London, I was like, come on onto the podcast. You know, we've quite big numbers on the podcast. I was like, come on and promote your tour in London and Europe and Europe. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. because I'm like, it, it felt like a, a, a full circle thing. And they're kind of the main two people that jumped to mind. Like I've had countless teachers, countless mentors, countless people who have helped mold me to where I am and the mindset that I have. Um, but they're the kind of two that jump to mind straight away. How no, about a, you, Charlie? Who, who's, who's yours?
0: To be honest with you, um, I, I was always quite a big Steve Cook fan because um, I just liked the way he carried and conducted himself. And he always seemed to be the sort of guy who'd want to help people. Uh, and like he's quite educational with the content he puts out there. So that's someone I really bought into. But quite similar to yourself, like it's generally people who are based in the fitness world who also have business acumen. So I was always on Schwarzenegger. short thing, as we have obviously talked about was like one of the main ones. I was a proper nerd and used to read all his books as like a 16 year old. Um, then I also like uh, other people like Jay Cutler, for example, had like a big business empire whilst being Mr. Olympia and he still runs loads of other businesses. And like, for me, that's what fascinates me so much is people who have these like three, four dimensional lives where they excel in multitude of different fields rather than like people like pigeonhole, say for example, a bodybuilder because he looks a certain way that he's stupid. Where like in fact these some of these guys are so incredibly intelligent. Like I um my last podcast with a chap called Stan Efferding, who um
1: Oh yeah, strong man. Stan, he's a bit uh, like, monster.
0: Dude, he's the world's strongest bodybuilder, but he also uh set up several like multi, multi-million dollar companies. And now he also has so he sold all those of money, world's strongest bodybuilder, loads of records, and he also now coaches like uh, the mountain, Halflaw Jonson, Brian Shaw, absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to strength and nutrition. Um, he's got a family man, he's got like, kids, he's like early 50s, still jacked. Like for me, that, that's people I aspire to, like Mike O'Hearn as well. Like people are like older in the game who keep going and just are, like longevity in terms of being around for a long time and putting in like a positive message and showing that again, you can be super successful in, Every aspect of your life is just having the right mindset to think you can go and do it. Because I think, as we refer to in your podcast, a lot of people think just because you have a job, you can't go and, okay, I've got a job. That's what I'm going to do for my life. Well, you can have a job, but then you can also have other passions that can then become a career and you can excel in once you actually put the infrastructure in place or the right people around you in place to help you excel, like as you obviously have done with work with Elliot and other people, I presume. Yeah,
1: couldn't agree more. Literally couldn't agree more with that.
0: So that that, that's that's my thoughts for me. I don't think this this. I have different people I look up to for different aspects of my life. If that makes sense, whether it's like fitness, business, um, I don't know, like relationship, family goals, or whatever it might be. Like I haven't got any kids yet, but obviously, obviously, you have. So there's certain people I look up to and aspire to in that respect. Um, But it's it's one of those things I think. That was probably a very strange experience for you, though. And I think it probably really hit home, there when you started working with Elliot Holtz. You were probably like, here's this guy I used to, like, really look up to and aspire to, and you still do. And now you're, like, probably sitting across working with him. Like, it's crazy. You probably start kicking yourself. And I'm having those sort of moments now. And, like, I went out for dinner with Milos Sarchev last week, and, like, after a training seminar, and, like, the life is becoming very bizarre all of a sudden.
1: It's great, though. Like, it's literally the best thing, because that's the... I think when you get your mindset right and you we spoke about this yesterday briefly about keeping your mind open that when you're consistently learning and consistently try, striving to become a better version of yourself or a stronger version, or just more complete all around person, you tend to bring these things into your life. Also when you kind of like, piggyback it with providing value and it ends up being a, a kind of a mutual Benefit where you're providing so much value to so many people, Charlie. They see that you're doing that. You're connecting more with these people, and before you know it, you've got friendships developed and friendships built. Um, I think that's such a positive thing because it compounds over time. You know, as good as that is now, and amazing as that is now, fast forward five years, fast forward ten years, fast forward fifteen years, and that's compounded over time. Um, I think it's just an amazing it's just staying grounded and being grateful for those opportunities that come your way. It's just, it's, I'm the same, you know, I totally, I'm exactly the same where well, you're just pinching yourself at times going, I can't believe this is the i connecting with. I can't sweet. believe Yeah, this is so bizarre, like, but it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's an
0: awesome, awesome, awesome experience in life we lead. So what, what sort of led you then from obviously from the States and into Ireland and then onwards
1: from there? So when I was in the US, I moved back to, so my undergraduate degree, my first degree was in business studies. So marketing is actually my undergraduate degree. And when I went on, I did a postgraduate in teaching. I did that in London. And after I stayed there for, you know, three and a half years, nearly four years afterwards, working as a teacher and then doing the two years as a personal trainer. And effectively 2014 is when it was, I could say I've been working in the fitness industry for seven, eight years, but realistically it's been five years full time. Um, And, the transition was, you know, I know I kind of shortened it down, but it's funny because more has happened over the last three or four years or five years than it happened in the ten before that. Um, just because it was a very linear structure of move to California, work in California, move to London, study in London, work in London, and then and then get your personal training degree and work two jobs for two years. There was kind of nothing else for the space of seven years there, and then over the last three or four. But the, between the book, between the podcast, between different appearances that I've done, it just seems to be that there's something different every week or every month, and it's amazing. You know, I've got on top of the business stuff and the fitness stuff. You know, I've competed. i you know, similar to yourself. Competed in bodybuilding. I did the you know WBFF Worlds in 2015 in Vegas. I did Miami Pro, got my pro card of Miami Pro in 2014, and um, then I left that world. and went into ultra endurance events. So last year, I ran six back-to-back marathons in the Sahara Desert, the Marathon to Saab. In February, I ran 230 kilometers through the Arctic Circle line at the very, 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 very top of Sweden. Um, my daughter was born in 2015. You know, she's like my everything. Um, yeah, so so much has happened from over the space of the last three or four years compared to the 10 before it. Um, so yeah, we can jump into any angle, but uh, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a whirlwind. So
0: let's go. Uh, interesting debate. What turned you from the the fitness competing world into like the ultra endurance? Because that's a a big
1: change. It, it is, and it isn't. Um, it's weird because when I to give a little bit of background, because I know a lot of your listeners are very, very you know, they're obviously familiar with your journey, and some of them will be in the world of understanding how competitive bodybuilding and muscle model fitness model works, and. When I moved back in 2014, my initial goal, for two reasons, I set a target of getting into a show in that April of 2014. That was my first ever show. It was the Miami Pro Show in London. And I competed in muscle model and I competed in the fitness model category. And my goal was twofold at the time. One, I had grown up for years watching the lights of Schwarzenegger, watching watching other bodybuilders. I was a huge bodybuilding fan. And... I was like, I'd love to compete someday, but I never kind of truly believed that I could. And then when I moved back in the January, I'm like, okay, nobody knows who I am here. You know, I moved back to my hometown and like my family knew me and my friends knew me and, you know, I played sport all my life. So the people I played sport with knew me, but nobody outside of that knew me. And I was trying to get a business off the ground. And I was like, I need to do something that's going to differentiate me from other people. So at the time, I- April, 2014, though, there wasn't that many people competing. There was nobody competing really apart from like hardcore bodybuilders in the realm of fitness model, men's physique, muscle model. There was nobody in kind of my local area or even that kind of, um, that whole county area doing that. So I was like, right, if I do this, I can document my journey on Facebook, which was one of the main platforms at the time I was like, at least then I'm going to potentially get some clients out of this. So I'm going to tick off two birds at one stone here. I was like, I've always wanted to do a show and I never believed I could. But now at least I'm going to be able to document that journey and I might get some business out of it. And I did. Um, I got so many, particularly young guys, you know, 23, 24, 25 year old guys, some even younger, who wanted to either compete or wanted to look like a fitness model. And because when I competed, I started getting similar to yourself, all these photographers coming to me for photos and as if overnight my social media started to explode. And I used it for that reason. And then I kind of fell in love with the process of I love being channeled towards a specific goal. And when you you know this, Charlie, when you're competing for a show, life kinda goes on lockdown to a degree. It's tunnel vision. It's tunnel vision, it's focus, it's diet, it's meal. And I love that structure. And so I, I linked quite well to that world, and but I did it for a year and a half. I did my first show, the Mammy Pro. I came fourth in that show, and it, my first ever show. And I was like, okay, I actually might have a little bit of potential in this. And I, you know, took a few months off. I came back in the November show. I came second, which you know, gives you that pro card, which means you can compete for money if you do any shows in that competition. And then I went into the WBFF and I did the Worlds in Las Vegas in 2015. That was amazing. Like such a great experience because it's, you know, my mom my daughter was only a few months old. My mom watched it on pay-per-view because they streamed that show on pay-per-view. Um, she was watching it from, you know, from home in Ireland and I'm out there in Vegas in the Cosmopolitan. And it, that was a cool experience. But when my daughter was born in May 2015, the WBFF Worlds in Las Vegas was August, 2015. And I knew that something was going to have to give the life of a competitive bodybuilder or muscle model, fitness model, men's physique competitor, from my experience, wasn't really conducive to balance elsewhere in life because it's a very, very, um, I'm not speaking for anyone else, but from my own aspect, it's a very selfish sport in the sense that you have to look after yourself, number one. And when my daughter was born, my entire psychology shifted because it wasn't in alignment with what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. I'm like, this isn't about me anymore. Out of curiosity,
0: did you think that was going to happen before your daughter was born? When you, like, obviously you knew you were going to be having a child, it was obviously like, amazing news. Did do you have a feeling beforehand, was your thought process starting to change or literally was it as soon as she was born?
1: No, it wasn't until she was born. Um, my, my, It's really, really weird because I remember a friend of mine told me, you know, when, when Holly's mom got pregnant, she's like a girl, you know, when a girl gets pregnant and she finds out that's when the child, you know, effectively is important to her. And when a guy, it's not until the child is born. And I, I didn't really understand that at the time because I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. You know, my missus is pregnant. Amazing. Um, you know, I've got a daughter coming. We knew it was going to be a girl. I'm like, that's, that's great. And nothing really changes if I'm honest, but then when they're born, like on her day, when she's there, you're like, holy fuck. You're like, this is a person. <laughs> and it wasn't until that day, like she was born, you know, the 25th of May, 2015. And it was, it was that day, that moment, that time that everything switches because it's as if you went into the room where she was born and one person and you left it somebody else. And that's what happened. It didn't happen beforehand. Like being completely honest, I was preparing for the world before she was born and I had a whole, you know, three-year plan of the show that I was going to do, how I was going to get on, et cetera. And then the day she was born, that went out the window. And then as it kind of digested or percolated in my mind over the next week, I'm like, this is my last show. I remember thinking, you know, I remember turning and telling the people close to me, I'm like, nope, this is it. I was like, I'm going to do one more show and, and then I'm out. And that's what happened. You know, And not to say that I'll never do one again, but, unlikely, you know, I might, but pivoting into the world of ultra endurance gives you something very, very similar in the sense that you can get very tunnel vision on the goal, but but it's not as all consuming. It's funny because running through the Sahara, six back-to-back marathons in the Sahara or 230 kilometers through the Arctic, they're both really extreme physical environments, obviously. And the training that goes into them is quite difficult and time-consuming but it's not all encompassing like bodybuilding. You know, when I was competing in the worlds in Vegas, life went on hold. And as a result, my business was slightly declining. It wasn't declining as much as, not declining, that part of my life was more maintaining, but it should have been growing. But it was maintaining because you're putting all this focus and energy into competing and but definitely my personal relationships my family relationships they were suffering because i was get up in the morning do my cardio get my meals in get back to the gym train get back and get my meals in take a few clients get back to the gym and do my second workout and it was just that for 6 months and that was having a negative effect whereas with the world of ultra endurance that doesn't really happen i just get up early now you know i get up at 4 or 5 a.m. i do my workouts i do my runs and then you know by the time particularly when how, long, up, how long's is a run or a workout for an ultra endurance athlete it depends it depends i i use a bit yeah i use a um a bit more of a qualitative a quali- qualitative approach as opposed to a, like a um junk miles approach so sports science um, strength and conditioning and sports nutrition is my background in the sense that that was the world i went into when i qualified as a pt first and i went down that avenue and specialize in that avenue. So I understand, understand how the body works from a physiological standpoint. I understand how the body works from a recovery aspect. And all I had to do then was kind of plug in a few systems and see how my body reacted. So I do a lot of quality work. So the most the workout might take True, you could go up to three or four hours a day, but you were doing the same when you were bodybuilding, But when you're bodybuilding, you're also focusing on the meals. You're also focusing really heavily on your sleep, your supplements and all these other things. When you're training for ultra endurance, even if you have a big time block of four or five hours, we need to train that day. That's it. You've got four or five hours. So if you get up at four, in my case, I'd get up at four and I could be finished by nine or 10 AM and then I'm done. I can get on my work. I can bring my, bring Holly to the playground. I can do whatever it is I want to do. Meet my mum for coffee and it's done. Whereas when I was competing, that wasn't an option because you couldn't go for lunch with somebody because it wasn't part of your meal prep. You couldn't, you know, be out in a stressful situation because your cortisol would be too high and then you wouldn't be recovered for your workout. Where that isn't really an issue in the world of ultra endurance. It's about getting the workouts in, getting the steps in or getting the, whatever it is you need to do in place. In the which you can switch yeah, you can switch off from it as well. It's, and that lint better. And I'm not saying this is a personality type. I don't ever want to throw anybody off competing in bodybuilding. You know, Charlie, you do it yourself and you know, some people are better at compartmentalizing things. Just I, I am it. And when it came to the world of bodybuilding, I couldn't switch it on and off. Whereas ultra endurance, I can. And it gives you a similar challenge in the sense that I need to be ready for a specific date because otherwise you're training for nothing. And that's oh. very difficult to do. So, so like I always have to perform. Exactly. And pressure to do it. Like I hate fucking running. <laughs> like <laughs> You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to run. Like if I'm not, if I'm not trying to not die in the Arctic of the Sahara, I'm not going to fucking run. <laughs> like I'm going to go in and do some fucking curls or do some military presses. Um, So that's again, just motivation for those listening the self-awareness that you might have to set a goal that, you know, you're the same, Charlie, I'm the same. We have to set goals and we have to work towards a specific goal. Otherwise it's very, very difficult to stay motivated over the long term.
0: You just, you just end up drifting through days, weeks, months, and years of your life in my opinion. That's why I think it's so good to like just break things down to small chunks. Even if you're like, okay, I'm going away in eight weeks, or I've got a wedding in eight weeks. Let's try and look, look my best for then. Or like put something with some sort of pressure on yourself because for, like, for me personally, my personality, I perform the best when there's like a bad analogy, but there's a knife to my throat. When you got pressure on you and you have to do something, like you, when you have no other chance, like choice, you, you make it happen. So I think like people need, sometimes but pressure is good. People need to put themselves in difficult situations to grow. And I think that's where a lot of people, I think the world's, a bit of a strange thing to say, the world's softening up a little bit, um, where people are... Aren't as maybe some people aren't as competitive as you should be. There's no nothing wrong with being competitive, even if it's just with yourself, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, agreed. I think that and and manifesting the competitiveness if you need to, like where as you said, you forcing yourself to believe that your knife is against your throat or your back is against the wall. Like I think you have to do that from personal experience. I'm similar to you in that sense that I have to. Convince myself, you know, like no one wants to get up at fucking four o'clock in the morning to run, no. <laughs> like, nice. and you know, myself included. Like, don't put me into that bracket of oh, he likes mornings and he likes running. I hate both of those fucking things. um But it's it's a case of right. If I don't do this, I might die in the Sahara. If I don't do this, I might die in the air. That's a, that's a pretty
0: good reason to do your training is you might die.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the ultimate motivation. Now I'm not saying for people to necessarily do that. Like you don't need to run to the Arctic or the SAR to get that. It's relative, completely relative. But that works for me, you know, and manifesting that fire however you have to do it. It might be, you know, like one of the things I'm big on, and this, this is danger in the dose depending on the person, but like using... The negative comments from people using, awesome. you know, one of the things that I love is, 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 you know, someone's laughter at you is your fire. Like if somebody's laughing at you because you're fat or you're overweight or you're out of shape, I'm like, cool. Use that fire. Like it's remember that at fucking five o'clock in the morning when you need to get up and do your workout. I'm like, use that voice. Remember what they said. And like the best way to throw it back at them is to show them by going out and using the fire, you know, use their laughter as fire. That's, I think that philosophy works in business, it works in fitness, it works in all areas of life if you can channel it. Like I, I always think of negativity and negative comments and things along those lines like fire. Like fire can light up your whole house, but it can also burn it down. So getting control of that's really, really important. But if you can do it, it's a very, very, very powerful tool in your toolkit.
0: Oh, I'm saying that. It's, it's a massive weapon in the arsenal. Like I know it's, it's not necessarily the right way you should think, like in some respects maybe that's how I definitely motivate myself. In particular when I first, I don't know if you're the same thing, Brian, but when I first started with social media and the fitness world I was getting very heavily ridiculed at the time and like what motivated me more at the time was just like I'm gonna prove all of you fuckers wrong and the um the funny thing is and then like all these people then like end up sort of like not brown nosing is the right ex- expression but when you're further down the line and you've progressed on a little bit they then like want to know how have you done this and like, there's no greater failing in the world you remember when somebody took the piss out of you like two three years ago and then they come up come to you asking for advice and like how have, you, how have you done what you've done well Like that's that's a funny feeling itself. And I'm sure you must have had that because I think there's quite a lot of that that goes on within the industry and obviously what we do.
1: I think a lot of that goes on within life. Like, you know, I think it's probably a bit more vocalized and prominent in the fitness and health industry, but I think that goes on in life in general. Like, you're going to go through your whole life people telling you you can't do things. You're going to go through your whole life people telling you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not big enough, you're not lean enough, you're not strong enough. That's the way fucking life is. It's about how you react to it. You know, I think using that and being very, very aware that it's so important to kind of the old analogy, you know, run your own race. And it's so true that when you're focusing on your journey and focusing on comparing yourself, we spoke yesterday about, you know, comparison syndrome. And I know you're a big advocate of like, don't compare yourself against other people. And I think that message is incredible. And I couldn't promote it more, but comparing yourself against where you were is important because that gives you a a gauge or a metric stick on how well you're doing. And as long as you're improving, As long as you're getting leaner, as long as you're getting fitter, as long as you're getting smarter, as long as you're getting better, that's the metric to pull it back on. Because if you keep doing that, people will come that that told you you were stupid, that told you you couldn't do it. As you said, come back in two years' time, come back in three years' time, and they. What's worse is, you know, I had situations. I remember I had a family member when I left my teaching job, I never forgot this because this fucking got me up for about six months in a row when I didn't want to get up to work my first client at 5am. I remember when I came home at Christmas and I left my teaching job and told a family member, they were like, you are a fucking idiot. And I (laughs) I was like, whoa. And this was like in front of my whole family. I was like, whoa. And it was like one of those really uncomfortable things. They were like, you're an idiot. They were like, why did you leave a secure job? To go try and work in a gym, the they were like the exact words. I think, um, I think older generation, but, that, but that's how people are. And I'm, a, but 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 people will give you opinions. People will offer perspectives based on their experiences in life. And even if some some are coming from a loving place, you know, some people just don't have a filter, and you're like Jesus. But a bit of fucking uh, a bit of soft touch, you know, tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Like, but some people just have that, but they forget. But I remember that same person. I swear to God. She, Charlie, when my book, because my book, the first book I released, The Fitness Mindset, within 24 hours, that went to number one on Amazon and stayed there for eight straight weeks. And then when it went into the bookstores in Ireland, it went number one. That book has sold countless of thousands of copies. And the same person came up and was like, I knew you were going to make it. And I'm like, no, you fucking didn't. I'm like, no, you didn't. I was like, and I remember that was, it was the one and only time charity that I called somebody out on it because generally now, even though I don't sound very, very fucking mellow, I'm I'm normally quite mellow with those situations. Now I'm like, ah, cool. It doesn't really affect me greatly. But at the time, this was 2017, I remember at the time, I was like, no, you fucking didn't. I was like, you call me an idiot. I was like, I remembered the time, the date, and the, 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 the whole scenario. And I rehashed and explained it. They're like, no, 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 I didn't say that. I was like, yes, you did. I was like, because it got me out of bed every fucking morning for six months. Because I remember what you said. And people forget. That's the thing because you know it's hindsight bias. People look back and go, I knew you'd make it, I knew you'd do it because more information has been given. That's opinions and perspectives. You can't go through your life making decisions based on other people's opinions on what you should do because opinions change based on new information. So do your thing. Compare yourself against yourself and get better because people's opinions change when new information is given. That happens across the board, it happens with everybody. And it's just being aware that that's the way the human condition is, it's the way people are. And don't make decisions based on fear, don't make decisions based on opinion, don't make decisions based on people's inability to see what it is that you want to do because when you change that and you flip it backwards, You'll see that down the line, when you actually hit your goal and achieve your goal, those people either come round, they forget they said it, or as you said, they come and ask you how you did it.
0: Then there is no greater feeling of success. It's better than achieving the goal in some respects when people come up to you and, like, how have you done this? And you specifically remember, like, you will never forget those sort of things. So, a question for you now, Brian, obviously, that was what was sort of your fuel for the fire back, back then. What motivates you now?
1: <sighs> to be honest, my motivation, it's funny because I. It's probably a combination of two things. Like, obviously, my daughter gives me so much drive because everything you do, and and I and I hate being that guy. I was like, oh, kids, and like you know no, what they No, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you, your your perspective does switch, and every decision you make, like I make a lot of decisions based on the fact that that relationship for me is my goals standard. It's the one that I try and nourish the most. It's the one that's the most important to me because I'm like, this is the one I'm having so much influence on this person. Like, you know, daddies and their daughters. That's, you know, uh, that's the way it is. You know, I think mums as well have obviously a huge impact, but there's a special thing between daddies and daughters. And I'm very, very aware of that. And I'm very cognizant of it that if I don't show up the way I'm supposed to show up here and I don't be the best version of myself that's going to rub off on her. So even I remember when I was running through the Sahara, so Marathon de Sables, was six back-to-back marathons, but the way it's split is it's on day five, it's a double marathon. So it's 86 kilometers, and it, that was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. So it was 86 kilometers through the Sahara Desert. It took me just under twenty, or just over 24 hours. But what country and, was that in? In the, In Morocco. America. In Morocco, yeah. So... It was it was as hot as you can expect, probably as difficult as you can expect. And I remember running through, and anytime you'd ever get that voice, because we all get that voice to stop, to quit. You've come far enough, you know, and all these kind of negative self talk that plays around in your head. And I remember thinking, like, if you quit. And you can, you can like, you're running through the Sahara, but you're hooked up to a GPS. So you can call somebody and they'll ship a helicopter in and they'll take you out of the desert. So, you know, there is a way out provided nothing like tragic goes on. You can get out of it and you can finish it and quit if you have to, or you want to. And I remember every time those thoughts come in, I'm like, man, I'm like, you can't go home and tell your daughter now in five years and 10 years and 20 years that you quit because it was hard. I'm like, don't be such a fucking hypocrite. Like life is hard, you know, make yourself stronger. I'm like, one of the biggest things I tell people with the gym, with their mindset, et cetera, is like, people are like, yeah, it gets easier. I'm like, it doesn't get fucking easier. I was like, you get better. I was like, you get stronger. I was like, none of it gets easier. The workouts don't get easier. Life doesn't get easier. Decisions don't get easier. You just get better. You just get stronger. And I remember going through the desert thinking that if you quit now, I'm like, you're weak. I'm like, don't be so weak. I'm like, you can't tell her when she's going through a difficult time in five years' time, in ten years' time, oh yeah, you need to push through if you're going to be a fucking pussy and quit now. So that would just that rehashed in my head for about twelve hours straight. Like when the sun went down, you're running through the night. Like there's snakes and scorpions that you're like trying to avoid at the night time. You know, you, you when you're running through the Sahara, you have to have a venom pump within your arms' reach at all the time in case you get bitten by a snake. Like all of these things are running through your head, and you're like, just keep going. Put one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. And that thought process gives you so much motivation and it drives you on those extreme events in the everyday thing to be honest Charlie it's just the gratitude like when you're so grateful that you get to do like I make an amazing living like you know I make more money now than I ever would like like I'll never have to worry about money again provided I don't make any stupid decisions and doing what I love and I'm so grateful for that and I never want to take that for granted Like if you had given me this situation five or six years ago and told me this is going to be my life, I would have ripped your arm off for it. And reminding myself of that keeps me grateful. And that drives me. And that's kind of like the acute and the kind of micro and the macro. In the micro, when I'm doing these ridiculous events that probably shouldn't be doing, (laughs) I use my daughter and I use that drive and I use that as my why. And then on the day to day when life is just normal... I focus on the gratitude. I focus on the things that I have, and being so grateful for the situation that I'm in, and that combination together just kind of pushes me through every day.
0: It's a crazy, sense of reality. Like we think, I think where technology has evolved, even if you think the last five to ten years, like neither of us could ever have been doing what we were doing like ten years ago. These these industries or like businesses didn't even exist, or how the way we can help people scale our business doesn't even exist. So that's an incredible thing that we're very fortunate to be able to help people with.
1: That's it. Our job didn't exist 10 years ago. <laughs> like, it wasn't a thing. Like, you know, there was no podcast. There, there was no Instagram. Like, it just it was it a wasn't iPhone. a thing. Was for 10 years and, yeah, there was no iPhone. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> like, you know, old 3310 style, you know, those like phones that could I survive bet. a nuclear holocaust. Like, you know, they're, that was it. That was literally reality. And being aware of that now. You know, I remember chatting to a guy in the gym. There's a guy I'm friends with in the gym. Ben is his name. He's a 21-year-old guy. And he had this discussion with me. He started doing vlogs on YouTube. And he had this discussion with me about when I was a teacher. He was like, I can't imagine you was a teacher. And I'm like, Ben, remember when I was your age, there was no Instagram. There was no iPhone. There was no podcast. I was like, it didn't exist. And he was like, wow. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, and just reminding, being reminded of that, you know, you can't help but be happy and grateful for that.
0: Yes. Um... We live in a world of opportunities now. A lot of people moan that it's too competitive, but if you think like 10, 15 years ago, none of these opportunities even exist. And if you're a trainer, like all your opportunities were just the people in front of you in the gym, whereas now like through vehicles such as podcasts that like we're doing now, we have the opportunity to help and influence as many people in the world, which is like an in- incredible thing, uh, incredible tool that society has access to now, which is uh, which we're both truly blessed to and everyone is blessed to be able to use, to be fair. Agreed, agreed. So that's, that's some, some really interesting thoughts in terms of your mindset. In terms of you and your goals going forward, Brian, what, what, what's the the plan from here onwards? Global domination?
1: Well, do you, you know what? It's funny because if you'd asked me, what it's, this is so weird, how oh, your mindset shifts over years. If you had asked me five, six years ago, yeah, that would have been my... I'm like, yeah, Charlie, man, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to build an <laughs> empire. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And build, build the Death Star. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But now... I, over the last few years, I've kind of shifted my mindset on that because right now I've got one unit of metric for success on what I'm doing, and it's like enjoying the process over the outcome. You know, one of my I read a lot of kind of like Stoic philosophy and a lot of kind of Eastern philosophy because just that serves and supports me. I've had kind of my own issue with anxiety and environmental depression and all these sort of mental health issues that I've had to battle over the years. Is actually one of the reasons I do the ultra endurance events because that makes me mentally stronger, but I kind of turned to kind of the Eastern philosophy side of things. And there's a quote that I love and it's a Buddha quote. And it's that if you can't be happy on the journey, how do you expect to be happy at a destination? And that's my metric for success. I, I live by it. My metric for success every day is am I loving what I'm doing every single day? You know, I used to get caught up in the fallacy of I'll be happy when, so, you know, I'll be happy when my chest is a little bit bigger. I'll be happy when my body fat's a little bit lower. I'll be happy when my business hits this number, you know, that I'll be happy when fallacy. And that never comes. That, that, completely defeats the purpose of being happy on a journey because when you hit that goal and hit that destination, your body fat gets to that level or your chest or arms get to that size, you set the new goal. You know, you come and jump on this hedonic treadmill of, right, cool, you're used to it now, what's the next goal? And that's like, you, you feel like you're a hamster in a wheel and you know the hedonic treadmill. And when I switched that philosophy to focusing on the day and being happy each and every day and being grateful for what I have each and every day, that's my goal now. Because It's ironic because you know this, Charlie, when you love, fitness is such a great example. You're a living testament to this. When you love eating a certain way, when you love training a certain way, when you love living a certain lifestyle, you look like Charlie Johnson. <laughs> like, you know, like you need the genetics and the hard work and the discipline and all these things as well but falling in love with the process lends to having a certain physique or achieving a certain physique.
0: Yeah. That, that comes a byproducts of you enjoying and loving the process.
1: I think, and that's the secret. And then taking that piece of information and applying it to all areas of life. It's like yeah. process, process over outcome, journey over destination. Because when you do that, The outcome, if if we keep the analogy of the ladder that I used at the beginning, you know, the ladder at the bottom against the right wall is better than halfway up the ladder against the wrong wall. When you hit your end goal, it just becomes one more rung on the ladder and you're happy to keep going and keep going. And that's kind of where I'm at now in all areas. You know, I break my life into four quadrants, health, wealth, love, and fulfillment. And I score those one out of 10 every month. And as long as they're staying high, eight, nine, 10, consistent, I'm like, cool, I'm good you know and it's consistently doing that because i'm aware and you know this i'm aware that when you're living life in conjunction or in with consistently doing what you need to do and loving the process the outcome and the result comes like it literally just comes but it's one more step it's one more rung on the ladder Um, So without giving you kind of like a soft answer on it, that's that's my focus. That's my truth. Like that's the honest answer is focusing on that. And if there's something in my life that I'm unhappy with, personal relationship, romantic relationship, familial relationship, fitness wise, health wise, wealth wise, fulfillment wise, it's like, cool let's nip this now while it's small. You know, if you de- don't deal with this problem when it's small enough to be solved, you deserve to deal with the fuck up that comes when it grows. So catch it when it's small. Okay, I'm a little bit unhappy with my training now. I need to adjust that. I'm a little bit unhappy with this relationship. I need to have a conversation. I'm a little bit unhappy with the way my business is going. Cool, I need to reprioritize. Whatever that is nip it when it's small, because then you can start to focus on that process and all the outcomes you want will come as a result. Um, and that's just personally what I do. If that, I hope that provides value to people listening, but that's literally how I live my life from a personal standpoint.
0: To be honest with you, that's absolutely banging. I think that's quite a good point to start to finish up on. I think that's probably one of the best sayings I've ever heard, and I think there's a real take-home point for people. It's if you can't be happy on the journey, how can you be happy at the destination? Because like, when you really like reverse engineer that back to like, everything you do in life and what you're, where you're aspiring, you're looking to be, like if it, if it doesn't stack up that you're enjoying what you're doing, then why are you doing it? Because when you get to that destination, whether it be wealth Looks or whatever—it's uh, not necessarily going to make you happy when you get there. I think uh, you may have well found it's the same with the competing thing. A lot of the times, when you achieve a certain goal, it makes you feel very vacant afterwards because, like, okay, I've done that now. What do I do now?
1: Yeah, especially when you hit that goal and you're like, "What was the point?" That—that's yeah. the worst feeling in the world. You know, that's the the ladder against the wrong wall syndrome. When you get to the top of the ladder and you look around, you're like, "I'm against the wrong wall." That's a very vacant and hard a low feeling. I've had that in several areas of my life. I've had it with fitness and competing where you you climb to the top of that competitive world and you're like, all my personal and family relationships are destroyed because I've been a selfish prick for six months. You're like, that for me wasn't worth the trade-off. That was my personal takeaway. That doesn't happen to everybody, but it happened to me. And that ladder against the right wall, pulling that back because... If you are consistently climbing the right ladder against the right wall with your training program, your nutritional plan, the business you're in, the job you're in, the relationship you're in, the way you are with your kids, the way you are with your family members, the way you are with your friends, and you're consistently doing that, even if you get to the top, you won't get that hollow feeling. You won't get that vacant feeling because as someone that's experienced it, and clearly Charlie is someone that mentioned that you've clearly experienced it yourself as well. It's a terrible feeling. Now it's feedback. Every failure is feedback. You know, the the seed of all failures are, are the trees for future success but you have to use it and not make the same mistake again you know you don't want to be doing the same failures the same mistakes consistently over time every time you make a fuck up be like cool owners take responsibility for it and learn from it and then going forward you can make different decisions which will lead to different outcomes which lead to a different life 100% agree
0: with that 100% agree with that that's um like in terms of mindset that's pretty much bang on the money with my thought process with everything so I, think, no, I, think that's, I think
1: that's why we connect, Charlie. That's why I'm like, ah, we were like bad this bad. On, on my podcast too. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I fucking love your mindset, mate. I'm like, just <laughs> keep doing that.
0: <laughs> I think we should, we should start to wrap this one up but here, Brian. We will always get some more podcasts booked in on some more specific subjects. If anyone wants to let us know what they want us to talk about or anything, they want us to go into more depth, uh, drop either myself or Brian a message uh, directly on Instagram, Facebook, and all the places we hang out. So in terms of uh, for people to come and find you, Brian, where's the best people for... People to give you a follow.
1: Uh, Instagram Brian underscore keen underscore fitness or my podcast, the Brian Keen podcast. That's kind of like my main baby. It's the foundation of everything I do. Kind of spawns from the podcast, and then everything else is kind of extra on top of that. Um, so yeah, if you've enjoyed this, definitely go check it out and check out my episode with Charlie. If you didn't, and you're like Brian the twat, don't go check it out because you'll hate the podcast if you like it.
0: Check him out. His podcast is phenomenal. So he's got some real superstar guests on there. So. I'm not going to spoil uh, the list of who's on there, but I have had a, I've had listened to quite a few of them and it's, a, it's a quite a, a lengthy and quite a uh, illustrious list that I'm very, very gracious to be a part of. So thank you very much for the invite onto to your podcast as well, Brian.
1: Mate, the pleasure was on my Charlie. That was a wicked episode.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. And i uh, will catch up soon. Catch you soon, brother.